Democratic base is very dialed into abortion rights as an issue more broadly. Uh, Same-sex marriage rights. Closed the state's last abortion Mr. provider. Has now apologized to his congregation. The Bible has application for every part of our lives. He's on camera saying that the problem is also not In the midst of all of today's noise and confusion, we need a voice that cuts through the chaos to bring wisdom and clarity. Welcome to The Roy's Report with Julie Roy's, an hour-long show exploring critical issues related to faith and culture from a uniquely Christian perspective. Now, here's your host, Julie Roy's. Welcome to The Roy's Report, brought to you in part by Judson University. I am Julie Roy's, and today we're going to talk about one of the fastest-growing Christian movements in the world. And surprisingly, this movement isn't occurring in the West, where there's lots of religious freedom, or in the global South, where Christianity is also booming. In fact, there are currently more Christians in the global South of the world than in the global North. And the Christian community in Latin America and Africa alone account for one billion people. But this incredible movement that we're going to be discussing today is happening in the Middle East of all places, in the mostly Islamic country of Iran. That's right, in Iran, a country where the government is engaged in systematic, ongoing, egregious violations of religious freedom, Christianity is booming. In a country where Christians can face imprisonment, torture, and execution, Christians are actively and successfully evangelizing. It's an incredibly inspirational movement, and next Friday, there's a new film telling the story of this amazing movement that will debut as a live streaming event that you and your friends, your church, your small group can watch. In fact, there are about 1,000 different watch parties scheduled for this Friday, August 23rd, and I'll be telling you a lot more about that in the rest of this show. But joining me now is Joel Richardson, a New York Times bestselling author and co-producer of this new movie called Sheep Among Wolves. Joel also is an expert in biblical prophecy and spends a lot of time in the Middle East ministering among Muslims. So, Joel, welcome. It's a privilege to have you with us. Julie, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, well, and and you're recently back from the Middle East, is that correct? Um, Well, yeah, we've made some short-term trips um, in a few different countries. We did a tour, actually, Jordan and Israel earlier this year. Um, I was recently in uh, Southeast Asia, and I may have forgotten a couple other places. <laughs> I know you're always on the road. It seems like every time I contact you, you're somewhere around the world that uh, sometimes you can't tell me or you can't speak about publicly because you, you sometimes go into areas that uh, don't really allow Christians. And speaking of which, Iran is one of those. And so I think when we talk about there being a booming Christian movement, the last place we expect it to be is in Iran. But yet this is where this Christian movement is booming. And I know you've spoken to a lot of the leaders of that movement. So help us understand why on earth, of all places, is a Christian movement spreading throughout Iran? Well, I think in the natural, when people hear that, they go, what in the world? I mean, persecution there is intense, Christianity is restricted, the government is really going to hammer, bring the hammer down on any Muslims, particularly that convert to Christianity. But from a biblical perspective, we see that the gospel is to those that are poor in spirit, to those that are downtrodden, to those that are broken. The gospel is for the poor, and so... There's a few realities in Iran that most people are not aware of. Um, The inflation there is astronomical. I mean, it's hard to even fathom basic 
food is difficult for a lot of people to afford. Um, Iran has one of the highest drug addiction rates in the world. There's just a tremendous spirit of brokenness on the country. And as a result of that, there's a hunger. There's a hunger for God from out. Uh, it's Job actually makes a statement. He says, when, when someone is in a heap of ruin, they stretch out their hand and they cry out to God. And I think the Iranian people are a perfect example of that. In their desperation, in their hunger, there's a cry rising up out of Iran, and the Lord is responding. Hmm. You know, it reminds me of what happened in China when it became communist. They kicked the Western missionaries out, not to say that Western missionaries do need to be in these places, but after they kicked the Western missionaries out and it became so oppressive, the church, the underground church, just exploded. And so it seems like sometimes Christianity does better in these countries where there's so much uh, persecution than it does here in the West where we're very comfortable. And I know this is one of the reasons why you want to tell this story to those of us uh, in, the, in the United States, in the comfortable church, in the place where uh, we have everything, so to speak, and yet in some way spiritually we have a poverty that there's people in Iran don't have. I mean, what's your hope for uh, the way that this film that you've produced, telling these stories, is going to open our eyes. <clears throat> yeah, there are several there are several lessons that we really hope that the Western Church will connect with. Um, but I think <clears throat> what happens here in the West is we see, particularly in the United States, we see ourselves as not just the leader of the world. We see ourselves as the as the heart of the church, and we think. When it comes to these new movements, such as in Iran, we think it's so essential that they learn from us. But the truth is, they have so much that we, not just that we can learn from, that we need to learn from. If we are going to navigate the days ahead, we need to connect with and learn from the church that's living it right now, that's living, and I'm not even going to say early church Christianity, because honestly, I think what's happening there today is something in a lot of ways, even a step beyond what took place in the early church, there's a, there's a purity um, that is, it's, it's moving. Every time you spend time with the leaders, um, you can see the, the fingerprint of God on what, in, in terms of what he's doing. And so, you know, it's easy for us uh, here in the, uh, at ease in the coastland, so to speak, to feel comfortable and to not believe that that type of persecution will ever come here. But the reality is, it's just around the corner. Now, it's granted, it's very different, um, but the hatred, the, the political polarization, is always ends up being directed at the Church. It ends up being directed at Christians. And so when we see the manner, when we see the steadfastness with which the Iranian believers are persevering under such incredible uh, such incredible not just persecution, but, um, I mean, they're, they're, they're being monitored, you know, just the, the oppression that they, they live with day to day in every little part of their life. This is something that we need to be paying attention to and really preparing ourselves for, because it's not that far away. Well, and I think a lot of us are realizing that and, and realizing we need to be ready for persecution, because it is likely right around the corner. Tell me how this this movement, how do you evangelize in a country that is so oppressive? It's fascinating to me um, how Iranians are doing this because they can't just like open up their Bible and start preaching on the street corner or even inviting people to church or special events. This has to be done in a pretty covert way. Describe that. Yeah, this is one of the 
most wonderful things about this movement is that, first of all, it's completely illegal, obviously, in Iran to evangelize, to, to proselytize Muslims you know, to another faith. And here's what's amazing, is that they're not breaking any laws. Um, the way, the, the methodology that they're using is very Socratic, which is to say they genuinely believe in the Holy Spirit, and they allow the Holy Spirit to do His work. So much of the evangelism that they do, they're asking questions. Now, they'll invite people to what we'll call discovery Bible studies. You know, they'll invite them to hear Bible stories, and they lead them through the Scriptures in a very systematic way from the beginning, uh, you know, from Genesis up, you know, throughout the story of redemption. But they're not telling them what to believe. They're not telling them how to respond they're, they're asking them questions about these stories. You know, what did you learn about God through this story? What did you learn about yourself? And then they extend the invitation. They say, would you be willing, if this story is true, would you be willing to make changes to your life? And, and if so, what would those changes be? And so it really is a, a dynamic discipleship movement. They're, they're teaching people how to listen to the Holy Spirit oftentimes, and, and this is probably kind of a controversial statement, but oftentimes before they even come to faith, they're teaching them how to essentially listen to what God is speaking to them through the text, through the stories, and then how to respond. So by the time they come to faith, they already understand the concept of obedience. They already understand the concept of listening to the Holy Spirit, and it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's truly a beautiful thing, to because when you see it, this is, this is what it's done for me, is it puts faith in me that God is active and He's working, because, it, you know, it, this is not a, you know, a Western manipulative model where you're teaching people how to behave and how to act. You're actually introducing them to God, and He's teaching them how to behave and how to act. Hmm. I love that, and I think sometimes in the West we think of conversion, coming to Jesus, and lordship as two separate movements of God, you know, in our hearts. That we, that we come to Jesus, we get our, our sins forgiven, and then we go to this other step of lordship. But in Iran, it's happening together. I think as I read the New Testament, it happens together. We give our life to Christ, and we give him lordship all at the same time. Again, I'm speaking with Joel Richardson, New York Times bestselling author and co-producer of the film Sheep Among Wolves, a film telling the remarkable story of what's happening with Christianity in Iran. We have to go to a break, but when we come back, we'll continue our discussion. This is the Royce Report with Julie Royce. Well, is the government of Iran losing its grip on its people? Welcome back to the Royce Report. I'm Julie Royce. And according to my guest today, that's precisely what's happening. Though the Iranian government rules with an iron fist and is trying to wipe out Christianity, the gates of hell are not prevailing. Despite all their best efforts, Christianity is exploding, growing by 20% each year. And this is largely due to the efforts of Christians, and particularly Iranian Christian women, who are risking everything 
for the gospel. Joining me today is best-selling author and co-producer of a film about this movement, Joel Richardson. If you'd like to join our discussion, you can do that. The number to call, 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. Also, I want to let you know that I am giving away five copies of a book by Joel today. The book we're giving away is called The Mystery of Catastrophe, a book that challenges you to see the natural and man-made disasters through the lens of God's sovereignty and end times prophecy. If you want to be able to recognize what God's doing in the midst of many storms that are gathering uh, to kind of see the spiritual behind the natural, you're going to want to uh, get this book. Uh, to enter the giveaway, uh, to win this copy, just go to julieroyce, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com slash giveaway. That's julieroyce, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com slash giveaway. Again, joining me is Joel Richardson, a New York Times bestselling author and also the co-producer of a film called Sheep Among Wolves, a film telling about this fast-spreading movement in Iran. So, Joel, uh, I've teased this a little bit, but we haven't really talked about it. But this is a, a movement largely led by women, and which is, again, ironic because this is a country where women are treated like second-class citizens, often abused and, and oppressed. But they're at the forefront, correct? Yeah, and this has been a really interesting dynamic, and we thought it was important to highlight um, you know, similarly in the West, if you look at church attendance, you know, it's it's going to be a majority uh, are going to be women. But there in Iran, it's it's a noticeable fact that it, it, most certainly there are men who are part of the movement and, and even leading the movement. But there's no question that women are the majority. And it's a, it's a stunning contrast, as you said, in such a, uh, a culture and a society that's so dominated by, by men. And didn't you say that a lot of these women, when you were doing this film, you had to get them out of the country, obviously, to, to do it, but um, when you, to do the recording and so forth, but a lot of them had the stories um, of abuse in their background, of being raped and molested, like, like that's common, right? Yeah, and in fact, you know, uh, you had asked me, you said, why, why do you think women are taking such a leadership role? And, you know, the answer actually is pretty clear. Um, when you listen to their stories, probably the most consistent feature is that they were abused, they were molested, they were raped, oftentimes by, you know, family members, even by their fathers and brothers and uncles. Um, the work is so difficult to get in the country that oftentimes to get a job, what you have to do is sort of work as an intern, let's say for six months, it's kind of a trial basis. And oftentimes it's in that trial basis that if you don't allow the boss to rape you and molest you, mm. then you don't get the job. And so you get a lot of just, you know, single mothers and women who need a job. And so they say, you know, why should I go work for free for someone and essentially be a prostitute when I can just go become a prostitute and actually get paid? And so you have this dynamic <clears throat> that it's just, I mean, it's epidemic throughout Iran, unfortunately, but to say, well, why are the women taking such a leadership role? And I think the answer is there, is that they are the ones that have been delivered from so much. They've been healed from so much that the, the gratefulness in their heart, the response to all that, uh, in all the ways that the Lord's touched them, is that they have a zeal. They have a zeal that's oftentimes unmatched by by their male counterparts when they come to faith, and so they, they're willing to 
they've been delivered from so much, they're willing to give anything to mm. see others find the same freedom. Mm. I, I think another aspect of this, or at least I'd like your comment on this, because I, I talked to somebody once that said that women are so much easier than men often to evangelize within Islam because Islam doesn't offer them very much. I mean, if you look at the afterlife, for men, maybe sounds kind of good. You know, you get how many virgins and you can use them as you please. For women, that doesn't sound like really that great of an afterlife. <laughs> yeah, and there's a funny um, there's a funny point there within textual criticism of the Quran where some German scholars have suggested that it's actually not virgins, that they've mistranslated the word, that it's actually 72 raisins. Um, but that's a, <laughs> that's a different story. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you know, you've got statements in the Hadith where Muhammad actually said, he said, I saw the inhabitants of hell, and the majority of them were women. Hmm. And so you hear, you hear statements like that, and you say, well, wait a minute, why? Are women more sinful than men and this sort of thing? And, you know, there's dozens of traditions like this. So, yes, oftentimes, not, not always, we have to be very clear, but oftentimes women are mistreated in Islam, and you have these Islamic apologists that try to talk about how Muhammad was, uh, you know, such a revolutionary, and, and it's nonsense. He, he married a seven-year-old girl. He had sex with her when she was nine years old. Mm. That was Aisha, his favorite wife. I mean, that's pedophilia. This is not a prophet of God. This is not someone to look up to. This is not someone who's going to exalt the status of women. On the other hand, Jesus is someone who was, in many ways, revolutionary in terms of the treatment of women. And so, yes, when women come to faith in Jesus, they do find they do find relationship with the one who does exalt them in so many ways. Mm. And I, I'm so glad that you that you say that honestly and just t- telling the truth about Islam and what it says because I, I think we don't get that in the West that often. I mean, that is a politically incorrect thing just to tell the truth about who Muhammad was, about how women are treated. It always it astounds me that the left, it's supposedly so pro-women, so feminist, doesn't tell the truth about Islam. But I think that's a real reality, and I'm glad you talk about that. I want you to talk about, too, about how in Islam, um, and, and in Iran, and the Islamic leaders and and those who are perpetrating the faith and supposed to be uh, evangelizing for Islam, the way they're living isn't necessarily matching the talk, and it's not resonating with the people, right? <coughs> yeah, we'll see. The regime itself, you have to understand, they present themselves as the stewards of the government of Allah, so the government of God, but even more than that, they're the stewards of this invisible Messiah figure they call the Mahdi. They say he's going to come back, and he really, he's kind of treated as though he's omniscient and omnipotent. He's guiding and watching all things. And so they feed the people this narrative. And the reason that they're so afraid of Christianity is because when people believe in the gospel, they reject this false narrative. And that's the very basis for their power. So when people come to faith, they lose their stranglehold of power over the people. Now, the country itself is largely like uh, a giant mafia state, and so the regime is trying to stay in control. The people are all in poverty. They're suffering. However, if you are willing to turn in your neighbors, if you're willing to work for the secret police, then you'll be given a job. And this is one of the easiest ways to get a legitimate job, is to actually become part of the regime And so you have many of the religious leaders, you have many people that are part of the government apparatus, 
who do it simply because, you know, they're, they're uh, traitors to their people, but they're desperate for a job. And so they're not necessarily very zealous for Islam. They're just selfish people. And so, you know, they're, they're turning on their own people. Now, I, um, there's a story several years ago on Instagram. There was a, an account that was called the rich kids of Beverly Hills. You know, these are all these kids and their parents, Maseratis and, uh, you know, luxury sports cars, drinking and doing drugs and their bikinis and showing off and this kind of thing. And typically what you would expect to see out of, out of Hollywood. But then around the same time, another account opened up and it was called the rich kids of Tehran. And it looked identical, um, you know, kids in sports cars doing drugs, partying. And someone commented, they said, but you need to understand, these are, this is not the common people in Iran. These are the children of the religious leaders. They're incredibly wealthy. They're incredibly rich. They have no interest in Islam. And so this is part of the reason why the people are so resentful of the government, of the regime, and of the religious leaders, because the whole thing is a complete facade. Hmm. Sounds a lot like the tax collectors in Jesus' day who are actually traitors to their own people, actually taxing their own people for the religious, well, for the government authorities, but pretending to be religious leaders, uh, and the religious leaders were part of that whole system. Um, Fascinating discussion. Again, I'm speaking with Joel Richardson, New York Times bestselling author, co-producer of the film Sheep Among Wolves. We have to go to break. When we come back, We'll talk about how you can be a part of these watch parties coming up this Friday. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to The Roy's Report with Julie Roy's. The Roy's Report is a listener-supported program, and we're only able to broadcast this program with donations from listeners like you. If you'd like to see this quality program continue, please go to julieroys, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com, and click on the Donate button. And as a thank you for your gift of any size, we'll send you the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, by the late famed apologist Norm Geisler. Just go to julieroys.com and click on the donate button. Don't miss former U.S. Ambassador Caroline Kennedy this October at Judson University's 2019 World Leaders Forum. Learn how Kennedy, a diplomat and author and the eldest child of President John F. Kennedy, carries on her father's legacy of public service at this unique opportunity for the Chicagoland community. Judson University's 2019 World Leaders Forum is October 8th, 7 p.m. at the Renaissance Schomburg Convention Center. Tickets start at $75 and are available now at judsonu.edu slash WL. You're listening to The Roy's Report with your host, Julie Roy's. Welcome back to The Roy's Report, brought to you in part by Judson University. I am Julie Roy's, and today we're discussing the explosion of Christianity in Iran. Ironically, in this repressive state where Christians are persecuted and killed, the population of Christians is growing 20% every year. That means It's doubling about every four years. And surprisingly, in a state where women are often treated like property and abused, it's women who are leading the charge. It's an incredibly inspirational movement, and it's the focus of a new film called Sheep Among Wolves that debuts online in a live streaming event this Friday. And joining me today is Joel Richardson, a New York Times bestselling author and the co-producer of this film, Sheep Among Wolves. Uh, Also, I want to let you know you can join our discussion today. Our studio line is open. The number to call, 312-660-2594. 
Also, today I'm giving away five copies of a fantastic book by Joel called The Mystery of Catastrophe, a book that shows how God can use even natural and man-made disasters for his purposes and how some of these storms and crises we're seeing may be related to end times prophecy. If you'd like to enter to win, just go to julieroyce, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com slash giveaway. That's julieroyce, dot com slash giveaway. So, Joel, let's talk a little bit about these watch parties this Friday. I know my small group from church, we're all getting together in our basement. We have a nice big screen TV. We're going to watch this live streaming event. We're super excited about it. Um, Tell everybody how they can be a part. So if you go to the website, which is sheepamongwolvesfilm.com, there's just a form that you go on there to sign up and put your information in. And yeah, a lot of these watch parties are just small groups. Some of them are churches. You know, there's individuals, of course, many individuals will be watching it. We're actually pushing right now close to 2,000 watch parties. Ooh. And when you look at look at the map, it is all over the world. So it's a tremendous blessing. It's, a, you know, and look, you don't have to watch it Friday night. Um, you can watch it in two weeks. You know, we release it into the wild for free, but we're just encouraging people to, to do it together, you know, on the 23rd, the release date, and there's just kind of this neat sense of unity knowing that you're watching it with the global body of Christ all over the world. I love that. I love that. I mean, I I get that kind of chills on Sunday morning because we do uh, a liturgy that I know is done all around the world by churches and similar, uh, that are in a similar, you know, uh, denomination. Uh, But this, to be watching what's going on in Iran and to be be having our eyes open to it at the same time with now 2,000. Last I heard it was 1,000, so you must have gotten a lot of people to sign up uh, just recently even. That's exciting to me, and it's exciting to me that we in in the church, in the West, in the first world, are going to be connecting with something that God is doing and, and among Christians in Iran, and it just it just reminds me. To me, it's just so biblical. It's what Scripture says to be praying for the persecuted church and our persecuted brothers and sisters, and we're doing it together. So, I'm really I'm, I'm super excited about it, and you know I just commend you for for putting this together. And what I want to do is dig in a little bit on some of the the stories that are contained in this film because I think they're so inspirational. I know there's one that you told me just en- enough to tease me. Uh, about some gal who tried to hang herself and then became a believer. Tell us that story. Yeah, and this is just uh, such a sweet sister. Um, She had, growing up, she had the typical story of um, she was abused and molested and raped by multiple men in her life. Um, You know, people that she would trust, even after having been violated, she would go to someone else and, and and they would promise to take care of her, and then they would violate her, and it was just sort of a letdown after letdown after letdown um, that eventually, And but in the midst of all this, there was just this unrelenting cry to God. She didn't know where to turn, she didn't know where to look, but there was just this intuitive cry to God, knowing that her defender, her deliverer is out there, you know, and so it culminated with her trying to, well, she did, she, she hung herself, she locked herself in this room, and she used, essentially she used what she described was a thick copper cable. Um, she connected it to the, I, I think, the light in the ceiling. She wrapped it around her neck and kicked the chair out. When she woke up um, the next day, she woke up on the floor. She had bruising 
uh, all around her neck. And this was what was uh, amazing was the room that she was in was locked. The room was still locked when she woke up and she woke up with a very vivid memory, uh, call it a dream or a vision of Jesus himself, uh, holding her in her, in her, in his arms. And she said for the first time in her life, she had the feeling, this is the God that I've been looking for. This is the God that I've been searching for. And just this incredible experience of, of feeling cared for finally in her life, a man who actually cared for her. And she Mm. said, and she looked in the cable, she said it was so thick that, you know, when it was bent, you couldn't, she said the cable was laying perfect, perfectly straight, laid down on the floor. She said, you, you know, you couldn't have machine straightened this cable out after it was so bent up. And, and she knew, you know, in some miraculous, amazingly strange way that the Lord had actually taken her down from the noose and revealed himself to her. And she is a passionate, passionate evangelist. Wow. What an amazing story. I mean, it kind of gives me goosebumps just listening to you right now. I hear so many stories like that of Muslims who become believers or people from Muslim countries. Um, and I don't know if it's just that God speaks in a more supernatural way there because it's, I mean, they don't have the access to the scriptures like we do or to churches like we do. But I wonder if part of it's too that they have a worldview that accounts for the supernatural, whereas ours is much more naturalistic. Do you hear, are you hearing those same sorts of things? I mean, is it often sort of these miraculous kind of conversions? Yeah, no, absolutely. And we hear it a lot. And, and to be clear, I also want to be careful because it does happen a lot, but by the same token, um, and we should trumpet these things, they're wonderful, but by the same token, the majority come to faith through bold, consistent evangelism, you know, just normal people sharing the gospel, being faithful. It's not always four dreams and three visions and two visitations, you know. Um, <laughs> so that, that's important to qualify. But mm-hmm. yeah, and you're, you're exactly right, which is to say the Islamic culture is very open to dreams. They're very open to all of these things. And oftentimes um, you'll have, let's say, um, a, a woman, a wife, and she is possessed, they'll say, by jinn, uh, which we call demons. Jinn are essentially like an Islamic. It's where you get the word genie. Um, but they're kind of these invisible spirits. So you'll get these women that they believe are oppressed or possessed by jinn. They'll take them to the imams to be delivered, and these imams will sometimes charge them $20,000 for a deliverance session, and they'll read some Quranic passages over them, and then they just get worse, and this sort of thing. Um, and so they have a culture where, you know, I'll call it a witch doctor, so to speak, but where the religious leaders almost serve as Joel, that type of witch doctor role. Yes, ma'am. Hold on that story. I'll let you finish it when we come back. we got to go to break. I'm speaking with Joel Richardson. You're listening to The Roy's Report. We will be right back with the rest of that story after a short break. Now return to The Roy's Report. Here's your host, Julie Roy's. Well, a movement of Iranian women who are risking their lives for Jesus is taking Iran by storm. Welcome back to The Roy's Report. I'm Julie Roy's. And today we're talking about this amazing movement in Iran where the population of Christians is doubling about every 
four years. And joining me today is New York Times bestselling author Joel Richardson, who's just co-produced a film about this movement in Iran. The film debuts this Friday in an online live streaming event. If you want to know more about that, go to sheepamongwolvesfilm.com. That's sheepamongwolvesfilm.com. Also, I want to let you know that if you missed any part of today's broadcast or just want to listen again or share it with friends, it'll be available at my website by 1 o'clock today, 1 o'clock Central Time, that is, if you're listening online somewhere else. Uh, so just go to julieroy, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com, and click on the podcast tab. Again, that's julieroy's.com. I also want to let you know that next week we're going to be debating what Christians should think about legalizing marijuana. Joining me will be author Jonathan Merritt, who says marijuana is the only thing that's relieved his chronic pain and he supports legalization. And challenging his view will be Dr. Richard Poupard, who opposes legalization. It's going to be a great show, probably a pretty lively one. And I'll be taking your calls as well. Uh, so I truly hope that you can join us on Saturday. And I'll be getting to our phone lines in just a minute. And if you want to ask a question of Joel or make a comment, the number to call, got to call quickly because we're in our last segment, 312-660-2594, 312-660-2594. But Joel, before I go to the phones, I want to just give you a chance to finish what you were saying in the last segment about uh, people going to witch doctors sometimes in, in Iran and, and, and what, how this sometimes leads to their conversion. So, uh, Finish that. Tell us more about that. Yeah, well, not literally witch doctors, but essentially the imams serve as a kind of witch doctor or a dream interpreter and this sort of thing. So essentially, all I meant is, is the Lord is visiting them supernaturally simply mm -hmm. because he's meeting them where they are. He's speaking their language, and this is just, it reveals the nature of God. He meets people where they are. Mm. Fascinating. I, I love this discussion today, and I want to go to our phone lines, even though the question isn't about Iran per se, but I know you do a lot of work in the Middle East, so I want to give uh, Dan a chance uh, to give his call. Hey, Dan, well, welcome to the Roy's Report. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I understand there's also a move of God, the, the one true God in Pakistan, at least to some degree, and um, I'm in contact with someone in Lahore, Pakistan, and I get conflicting information from them. I get photos of church meetings that look fantastic, but also requests for money and other things that raise warning flags. And I'm just wondering, um, who can I contact just to have this gentleman checked out? And if he's legitimate, I'd love to see him get a lot of help from the West. Okay, it sounds like two questions. One, what's happening in Pakistan? So let, let's do that one first. Um, Joel, do you know much about what's happening in Pakistan? I kind of guess you do. Pakistan's a very different situation, obviously, because you can have churches legally. There's plenty of Christians in Pakistan, obviously. You know, you have outbreaks of all kinds of persecution. Um, but you do need to be very careful when it comes to sending money because, you know, there's all kinds of scams there because of the extreme poverty. Um, I don't know who to contact to vet anyone in particular, but you, you definitely do need, if there are red flags, they're usually there for a reason. Um, so I, I don't really know how to counsel you there. Mm. Well, I'll give you something I know from doing a lot of investigations. If they have any presence in the United States, they have to file 990s, uh, which are tax forms, and they should have those online. And if they don't have it, uh, I would ask for it, and I would ask to see their financial re their financial reports and their statements. And uh, if it looks really confusing to you, 
go to somebody who can interpret those for you. But I, I think Christians have to, and I, I'm shocked at how many Christians give their money and don't look at the finances of the organizations they give their money to. That is so critically important. Uh, but Joel, as we're talking about other places in the Middle East, this is uh, Israel is a place in the Middle East that actually touches on Iran because Iran is the, probably one of the greatest threats to Israel's existence, yet the church in Iran is actually very pro-Israel, from what I understand. Tell us a, a bit about that. Yeah, and this is one of the most beautiful parts of what's going on in the church in Iran, and, and one of the things we emphasize in the film because in the natural, as you said, Iran represents the greatest existential military threat to Israel right now. They're spreading their spidery fingers throughout the Middle East through proxies of Hezbollah and Bashar al-Assad, and they've got the Houthi rebels down in Yemen. They're taking over Iraq and this sort of thing. But behind the scenes, you know, and this is the, the thing that we don't often get to see behind the curtain, so to speak, the believers themselves have fallen in love with Israel. I mean, they I've heard some of the leaders say, how can we send missionaries to Israel? And so, again, this is the finger of God. This is the the fingerprint of God, because when you genuinely are discipling someone in the Scriptures, um, it's pretty hard to ignore the fact that, you you know, Israel still remains God's people. He still has an ongoing call, calling an election on them. And unfortunately— in much of the Middle East, even in the churches, there is a lot of residual anti-Semitism. You know, missionaries, we talk about the, um, the tragedy that the American church has exported the faith movement um, all over the world, you know, this, this prosperity gospel. But one of the problems as well is that we're exporting oftentimes a bad eschatology, which mm. actually promotes this uh, anti-Israel bias throughout the Middle East, and this is what I love about the Iranian movement, is there's, there's none of that. It's just the opposite. They actually have God's heart for Israel. And Joel isn't paying me or even asked me to say this, but <laughs> I want to give a plug for your books, because uh, the first one I read was the Islamic Antichrist opened my eyes to the, the possibility of the Antichrist being Islamic. You make an incredible case for that. But Mideast Beast, Mystery Babylon, a lot of these books, are, there's a reason why they're New York Times bestsellers. They're full of truth and biblical exegesis, and you're a phenomenal writer. And friends, if you haven't gotten any of those books, I just encourage you to read them. But given, Joel, your understanding, and, and you're, you're really an expert on end times and eschatology, where does Iran fit into all that? Well, when you look at so many prophecies, you're going to get uh, you know, admittedly, I'll, I'll say conflicting reports, you know, in the Bible. You'll see prophecies of judgment coming upon the enemies of, of the people of God. But interestingly enough, there's actually um, a very positive prophecy in Jeremiah 49, where the Lord says, I will place my throne in Elam, which is the southwestern province of Iran. Um, and I actually believe that there, in that there's a promise that the Lord you know, I don't know that it's literal that he's going to have, uh, Jesus is going to have his winter palace, so to speak, mm. in Iran, but it's as though he's saying that, you know, he has a special place, that he will place his rule in Iran during the millennial reign of Jesus. I think, you know, based on that hint, and as an intercessor, and as someone that loves, uh, you know, the gospel, I think we should push into that and say, yes, Lord, you're going to have a mighty 
uh, movement. You're going to have a people here that will submit to your rule. And so we don't just wait for him to come back for that to happen. We push into that now. Hmm. And let's talk about us in the West. How should we, um, how should we think about our our neighbors who are Muslim? How should we think about the people in Iran that you're ministering among? What should be our heart and our disposition towards them? You know, there was a poll recently done um, that it, it, it analyzed uh, bias and prejudice against Muslims and, you know, whether people have hatred for Muslims. And what really made me sad was that uh, one of the highest segments that had a hatred of Muslims were evangelical Christians. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, in an age of tolerance and all of this sort of thing, um, I, I think it's good that we that we have a hatred of Islam, mm-hmm. um, because Islam is fundamentally opposed to our faith. But that said, if anyone should be a people who love Muslims, it should be followers of Jesus. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of negative things that can be said with regard to Islam, but when it comes to Muslims, they tend to be some of the most God-conscious people in the world, um, you know, a very God-conscious culture, and look, the Lord is moving among them, and if that's not evidence that He loves them and He has a heart for them, uh, then, you know, we're not paying attention. So we need to check ourselves as conservative Christians. We need to say, am I someone who received the grace of God myself, but I'm not willing to extend that grace to others? And so we, we really need God's heart on this and, and recognize that, look, there's a harvest field all around us you know, they've come to us, and it's not about just being opposed to them. It's about sharing the gospel with them. Mm, amen. And how can we support the Christians in Iran? I mean, obviously, we can't do it. Uh, we can't go there. We can't. Uh, it's hard to even give money to to what's doing to, to fund it. I mean, what can we do to stand with our brothers and sisters in Iran and, and support them? Yeah, well, first of all, it's always going to be prayer. And so there are different ministries that you can sign up with and get regular prayer updates, testimonies, and this sort of thing. And really, that's the, the best way to knit your heart with anyone, is, is to connect with them through prayer, regular, committing to regularly pray for them. Um, we will have a place at the end of the film, a link to where people, if they want to donate to the church in Iran, um, we're essentially channeling that through because we don't want to name ministries and, and put a target on their backs and this sort of thing. Um, and, you know, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So that's another way to knit your heart with the Church, is to actually donate. Um, and, you know, there are some opportunities, obviously, security, we need to be very careful. Sometimes the leaders, you know, are able to visit here in the States, and we have sort of um, underground meetings, so to speak, at Church, closed meetings in churches, and you can connect with them relationally, that's a little bit more difficult. It's going to be primarily, you know, the first thing really, it's going to be through prayer. Mm-hmm. And how specifically would you encourage us to pray for them? The main prayer that they're constantly asking for is, you know, the story where Jesus kind of, uh, he was invisible. He walked through the crowds, you know, they're, they're there. They're right in the heart of Iran. They're all over Iran. And, you know, they're constantly being monitored. All of the Iranians are being monitored, and they just need that supernatural protection, that they can continue their work, and that the Lord would blind the eyes of the enemy, so to speak, that they would walk through the crowds and, um, and that they wouldn't be caught. That's the main issue. You know, they're, 
They're regular people. Yes, they're heroes, but they don't look forward to being put in prison. They don't look forward to being tortured. You know, many of them have families and children just like us. And, and to be quite frank, they, they have genuine fear. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it's, we, we just need to pray for their protection. And if, you know, something happens that they would have the, the, um, the boldness to stand firm in the midst of uh, if anything should go wrong. Yeah, and, and courage is not the absence of fear. It's that ability to press into that fear, to overcome that fear. And so we do need to be praying for them. You know, Jesus told us in Matthew 16 that he would build his church and nothing, not even the gates of hell, would prevail against that. That's what I think we're seeing in Iran today. So encouraging. Again, thanks so much to Joel Richardson. So grateful for you and your ministry. Again, if you missed any part of this program, the entire podcast will be posted to my website, julieroys, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com. Hope you have a great weekend, and God bless.